It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. So while the RNC uh, puts the, the commission together, the new advisory commission, I still remember back in 2012 when they called it an autopsy, probably one of the worst things you should ever call something after being uh, trounced in the elections. But anyway, that aside, uh, we'll, we'll keep going through the calls on that. Strategies needed, realities needed, recognizing how you do real outreach is needed. I could, you know what, I could get on the commission, step up there and give them a roadmap to success. They just have to follow it. I, I, I just... Sometimes I wonder how much time the consultant approach, the consultant class sits there and says, this time we're going to figure it out. Hell, guys, I could have figured this out 20 years ago. But, hey, I'm just a talk show host who's helped win elections. Representative Andy Biggs uh, joining me now uh, from Arizona's 5th District. Uh, President Biden, uh, Representative Biggs, uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, saying that Americans should ban semi-automatic weapons. Uh, Let me just think for a second here. Is it really just pandering or are they that ignorant? I'm going with pandering. What do you say? Uh, I I, I love you. I have to disagree. I think they're that ignorant. I mean... Look, these you have people like Sheila Jackson Lee saying that a an AR-15 weighs as much as ten boxes. You know, ten boxes of what? Uh, you know, that type of thing. And I I just tend to think that they don't know what they're talking about. I mean, they everything's an assault weapon to them. Um, and when you ask them, well, can you tell us what an assault weapon is? Then they start describing uh, uh, like a machine gun. And a machine gun, as you know, is, you know, fully automatic type of weapon. They're already they're already restricted, so uh, I just I, I think they just have no idea what they're talking about. But the one thing that they do want to talk about, and this is where it becomes pandering, is they want to get to the base and convince them that they're going to do something to take away America's guns. Yeah, I, and that's why I that's why I use pandering. I, I don't think I think we're in radical agreement in a sense that you know, <laughs> this is this is part of a strategy to keep driving a narrative. It started. W- really in modern form, as you and I know, and I believe with Dianne Feinstein. And for the record, anything I use to assault someone is an assault weapon. Maybe the Republicans need to just go back and say, hang on a second. And I know it's a little bit ridiculous to state it, but sometimes you use, I don't know, maybe it's a part of humor and sarcasm that if I use it to assault you, it is in a weapon and it is an assault just to get people to go, oh, wow, that does sound ridiculous. I, I don't know, Andy. It just... <laughs> yeah, think, think about it. I mean, more uh, if, if I slap you, I've assaulted you. Well, now I've got an assault hand and uh, uh, just you, you just go down everything. A hammer. Hammers are used sometimes to assault people or a bat or whatever it may be. Um, uh, anything that is used to attack a person and assault them, you make contact with them with the intent to harm them, that's an assault. And uh, any weapon that you've used then to do so would be an assault weapon. So, David, you're right. Uh, it's it, it, But it gets back to this. They're pandering, but they're, they're counting on the fact that half the population, their half, 
uh, I'm not even sure it's half, I, th- I think it's maybe a quarter of the population, is totally ignorant about weapons. They don't know, uh, when I say weapons, I'm talking specifically guns. They don't know anything about guns whatsoever. Yeah, the numbers also don't back them up, and I want to move to other issues, but the numbers don't back up. Uh, when you look at firearms purchases, registrations, training over the last few years, when you look at an increase of women, and, and for that matter, I don't like the term, but you and I have known long enough, you know I don't like this term, minorities. Americans mm-hmm. who, who really want to be able to protect themselves in areas where the police aren't there every moment, they're nowhere every moment, the numbers don't back it up. So I'm with you on it's a small but vocal minority that is having a outsized effect. Yeah. No, and that, but that's the way, that's the Saul Alinsky way, isn't it? Is to, is if you're in a minority, yell and scream uh, loud enough so where people think that you have more mass than you do, and then you attack people in ad hominem and pejorative terms to make it personal. So those are the two things that really you see happening on guns. And it's, it's, you're right. I think it's an Alinsky-type ta- tactic, actually. Yeah, unfortunately effective for the ill-informed or the uninformed, whatever term properly applies there. You know, I mentioned this in uh, the opening of the segment, uh, and I'm thinking back to mid-November, uh, that uh, you announced a run for speaker and challenge to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. So rather than write the story, I'll ask you the question and let you share with the audience uh, where you are now. Well, I'm still where where I was. I'm still challenging, and um, he does not have the votes. He doesn't have 218 votes, and I don't know that he's ever going to get the 218. And quite frankly, David, if you believe as I do, that we are controlled by kind of an establishment, a uniparty, doesn't matter who which party's there uh, on, on a certain extent, then then if you cannot change the status quo leader, which is Kevin, and Kevin, Mr. McCarthy's been there uh, for six years, um, first as a majority leader for two, and then for minority leader for four, uh, at some point, uh, he is he is in a, a creature of the establishment, and it, you cannot you cannot do what needs to be done here in Washington D.C. without that change. And so I'll give you some examples. We didn't fight on the NDAA. They didn't even whip. Our leadership team did not even whip against the NDAA until we fixed it. I mean, it's filled with Green New Deal. It's filled with. Uh, DEI uh, and uh, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, stuff. It, it had Safe Banking Act. It had a whole bunch of things in there, and it did not reinstate the the military guys that had been thrown out because simply because they wouldn't take the vaccine. We didn't stand up on that. And that's just one example. And and now I'm told he's going to fight. Well, I didn't see. Pre- I saw precious little fight go on in the last two years. And if we're going to turn this thing around, you need to get somebody who's not in the establishment. You need to get somebody who's going to fight, who will use every tool. In fact, I advocated for this two years ago to use every tool of procedure. And we in the Freedom Caucus used as much as we possibly could. But um, our own team uh, didn't want to fight that way. And that's what I'm saying is you can you can either maintain the status quo 
or you can change the trajectory, change the paradigm. And quite frankly, the paradigm was changed because we have a very small minority. Let's talk about uh, skills and experience and about you for a moment. Uh, One of the things I like is someone in to what you just said about using procedures, right? Using every available tool that's available, which is something that does not happen with the establishment uh, in Washington. It's almost like a trade-off. You have experience uh, as a state legislator. You, you have significant experience. So you understand what it takes to use the rules and procedures. And that seems to be the disconnect with some of these leaders, whether in the majority or the minority in the establishment. Uh, When you were chairing the Freedom Caucus, we saw some push for that, but they rejected it. How do we get over that hump uh, effectively in Congress? Because rules, procedures, power of the purse, that which you and I have talked about before, can be effective in at least stalling some of these dangerous economic policies, tax policies, immigration, you name it, whatever policies there. Yeah, well, David, uh, first of all, when I was the Senate president in Arizona and before that the majority leader for five years uh, total, I I got reelected because we did use these tools to advance a conservative cause um, and we had a small, a small majority. That's, but we were able to go, get these policies in. And what, why is that? And the way to get over the hump is you have to communicate clearly what the mission is. I, I would, I hard pressed to tell you if I understand what the mission has been the last four years from our leadership team. That's what I was trying to do as the chair of the HFC, is to set the mission statement. Um, and w- if the mission statement is clear and you lay out how we can get there, and everybody understands then what the objective is, they understand what the procedure, the strategy is, then people get stay on your team, and you can accomplish those things. And everybody has to understand that it's going to require some inconvenience, some sacrifice, but if you're the leader, you're the one that's willing to take the blame so that so that everybody else can say, we're doing this because it's the play that, that Biggs came through, or the leader, whoever it is, the leader has set the play. We're going to be with there on the play, and we're going to accomplish this. And this and and you have made it saleable because you've told them how it will work, how it can work, and the reason to work. And 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 the other thing that goes with that, David, is if the 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 people who are following the leader don't trust the leader, if they don't say, well, yeah, he's led us to the promised land before, or he's got a track record, or he's never lied, or he's always been truthful, then then you don't have a leader anymore. So that's the way you do. You communicate, you have a strategy and a mission and objective, and you be honest and forthright. You say, this is the danger we face, this is how we're going to overcome that danger, and this is how we win. Next steps, and please walk us through this, uh, how this plays out between now and January 3rd. On January 3rd, the new uh, Congress will be officially sworn in. Well, if if things were really uh, wonderful, I think Kevin would say, look, I don't have the votes. Let's let's step aside and, and get a, a consensus candidate to go forward for our conference. So on January 3rd, we're, we, we don't have any drama on the floor. But he has said, 
uh, has come out this morning that he has said that he is going no matter what on January 3rd. So what will happen is um, if he gets the votes, I don't think he will, but if he gets the votes on the first ballot, he's done. He's in. If he doesn't get the votes on the first ballot, it depends on how many people stay off. Um, and if he and and so then you'd have a second ballot and and you would go forward. You could recess and then go through and try. He could woodshed people, try to get his votes, or, or other people could say, well, you know, he didn't have the ballots. I'm going to run now. There there are so many things that could happen. But right now, if 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 people in your audience would like to see a change in the status quo. They need to let their members of Congress know, Republican members of Congress know, because um, believe me, Kevin is, you know, he's doing he's doing what I think needs to happen from his side. And that is he is trying to woo members to him and um, and trying to convince them in ways, uh, you know, that that he's the guy that they should support. I don't think that that's I don't think that that's where I'd like to see it happen, but uh, it will take a lot of members of the public letting their members of Congress know, hey, we'd like to see a change there at the top. We've got just a minute left here, literally. Uh, you talk about members he's wooed. Uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, from Georgia is supporting Kevin McCarthy, and her argument is if there's no unity behind one candidate, Democrats could support a compromise speaker candidate. Is that really realistic? I don't think it's realistic. You, I would ask people to name one Republican um, who's going to vote for Democrat and then tell me who the Democrat is they're going to vote for. Are they going to vote for Hakeem Jeffries? Uh, I just can't see that happening. In fact, some of the, 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 the people that that she might be referring to and others have referred to have indicated very clearly to us that they're, they're not going to vote for Democrat. They may right. not. They may not vote for me, but they're not going to vote for a Democrat either. So. Asked and answered. I wanted clarity on that. It was an argument being made. Uh, you've always been gracious in, uh, on this show when we ask, and I appreciate it. Uh, let's uh, follow this process together. Thank you for joining you me bet. this morning. Thanks. Always good to be with you. Take care. Thank you. Representative Andy Biggs from Arizona's 5th District, uh, and again, challenging uh Kevin McCarthy for the speakership, uh, former chair of the House Freedom Caucus as well. You can join me live on the David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.